Hey there, ladies and germs. Welcome to another episode of Ampersand and Sons. I am Jack Ryder, and here is my friend Snapper Car. Oh, that's rough. Hey, Jack. <laughs> yeah, no, it's Neil Bailey and Julian Finn back again after an extended break. We are back, and I mean, it wasn't that long a break. Some stuff happened. The show went on hiatus. Your status as an American resident went on permanent hiatus. That's right, eh? No, I'm uh, I'm now in Thunder Bay, and uh, as you can tell, the air is clearer here. You can uh, hear my voice better, I'm sure. <laughs> you say, "Hey, I've I've have some friends that live in New York City," and the joke I always make with them is, "Canadians just put the a on the other side of the sentence." So a uh, New Yorker might say, <laughs> "Hey, how you doing?" and a Canadian will say, "How you doing, eh?" <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard that much of it, honestly. It's um, it's very overblown in American media so far. It is, as is a boot, which you won't hear anywhere but Quebec. Yeah, I haven't really heard it at all. Um, I'm trying to think of the things that I have heard, but you know, it's all uh, it's all just like if you're looking for it, I suppose. Yeah. So we've got to just more Minnesota. <laughs> We've got to discuss the uh, the best of Smallville, which might be the greatest tongue in cheek title for an episode of a show relevant to us. I could think of. Yes, yes, because it, 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 it's pretty good. No, it's um, it was very very touching figuring out what that meant and uh, and how it was used in the show. I thought. Yeah. No, I agree. I was uh, shocked by the pivot in quality from one week to the next although i had suspected that they were going to come back and like come back strong and it kind of bolsters my theory that last week's episode was a redo in order to exhibition into it yeah i was um I'm, I'm still baffled it happened it's kind of like uh uh, you know, sometimes you have a friend who goes on a really weird tear for like a weekend and then they come back and it's the same person you've known and maybe they're just having a bad day, you know, like uh, it, it felt like that. It felt like an old friend just just like this is the weekend I'm going to binge drink and drive your car backwards into a building. And then like they come back and they're like, oh, look, buddy, I repaired your car. Uh, I'm never going to drink again. I'm sorry. Here Which, you, you know, not to get too hard into spoiler territory, but given that this was the week that uh, they they touched on the dangers of teenage drinking, it might have been better to throw <laughs> the uh, quality dip this week. Yeah, it was almost like, gotta get ready for the big game, huh? Want to try some marijuana? You know, it was, <laughs> it was like, but... Honestly, for someone as uh, Boy Scouty as Jonathan, it really kind of fit. It was the way that he would look at, uh, like, what it must be like to drink like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, he didn't drink all that differently than what we've seen from Kyle in the same episode. So, yeah. Oh man, Kyle. Although, oh, although Kyle, Kyle's Kyle's reasoning was was somewhat better, if still ill informed. Yes, Kyle. Uh, Kyle. Kyle is like every midlife crisis I've ever seen, boiled up in kind of a sad, pathetic, abusive, dysfunctional—I don't know—baked uh, potato with a little bit of sour cream. 
<laughs> okay, so before we dive right into this, we should let our listeners know that we are well aware that at the same time this episode was coming out, another piece of Superman adjacent media came out, which was the Snyder Cut of Justice League, long fabled, thought to be a myth, <laughs> but for better or for worse here at last. Um, and we're not going to completely ignore it, but we're not going to really touch on it this week. We're going to do a deep dive into it in subsequent weeks while we wait for Superman and Lois to come back, right? That's correct. <clears throat> Although I'm sure some comparisons might abound since, you know, we did get so much extra Superman footage in... Uh, <laughs> in I, I mean, okay, so without going into spoilers of either that movie or this episode too much both of them dealt with character motivations for superman in very different ways and it was a really <laughs> interesting <laughs> case study in the question why does the man of steel do the things he does sometimes where the best of smallville gave us some emotional pathos and um you know, a, an answer to that question rooted in Clark's very human upbringing. And uh, the Snyder Cut gave us the answer to that in the form of a fashion montage and his daddy's told him to. <laughs> you, you know, um, you say that the, the, this fabled Snyder Cut, uh, the story that will be told has appeared, and I'm still kind of waiting for that story to materialize. Um, unlike, uh, this episode of, uh, Superman and Lois, we have a situation where, um, so I, I've been thinking in depth about this without going into Snyder's Justice League. Um, I was just bare bones trying to articulate what I think makes for, for a good whole. Um, and you know, you have to have characters where you know what they want, why they can't have it and what, what they're going to do to achieve it. And that's character. And then you have to have um, the plot, which is has to go from A to B to C, and rationally so, and should ideally spring from the character's conflict. Um, and that is entirely present in this episode of Superman Lois in every respect for every character, even in the small characters like Beppo. And it is not present in any way that I can think of in any... I, you know, I've really been searching for it. It's not present in any sense for either um, story element in the other piece of media we shall discuss. So so it was, um, you know, you won't find too many references to it because they do not compare. It's like it, it is very literally apples and oranges um, in the sense that, that it, it's just a completely different level of storytelling. In this one, some 40 minutes of television... And I know that television has typically been the inferior medium to movies in a lot of respects, but in this one 40-minute bit of television, I got more character and heart and story than I did in all 10 to 12 hours of the repeated viewing of the <laughs> stuff that I saw. And and I'll fight that. I mean, like, we'll talk about that in depth later, but I mean, there was so much heart in here. There was there was Martha. We got to know Martha in three cutscenes entirely. Outside of anything that we've seen with her before, she has a beginning and a middle and an end here. Um, Luthor goes from almost a one-note um, bit of plot into some, some someone who you have both sympathy for, who has depth, who has a clear motivation, and I'm still standing by, you know, like, no, um, no real... Um, 
no real sense that he's an antagonist so much as someone whose motivations justify what he's doing um, without going into spoilers. You know, everybody yeah. is like that in this episode. They all fight for what they believe in and it all interacts perfectly and it all complements the A to B to C to D of the plot. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm going to push back against you a little bit. Not on your assessment of this 40 minutes of TV, but on the Snyderverse <laughs> as a whole. Because there is one piece of the Snyderverse that I feel like this show is a um, almost an extension of. And that mm -hmm. is the first half of Man of Steel. The uh, up, up to what point specifically, so that I can get a context? Up, 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 up until the until they turn Smallville into a battle zone and start chucking each other through Seven <laughs> Elevens. Um, that this show feels like what would happen if Christopher and Jonathan Nolan got to see their version of Superman, not just their version of Clark Kent learning to become Superman realized. Like there's a very, there's that small town America authenticity to what's happening in the setting. The, the character feels more like what that version of young Clark Kent would have grown up into. Like I don't feel Donner vibes in this show. I feel Christopher Nolan's influence on Man of Steel vibes in this show. I think I, I go for, the, I kind of see it as its own thing because what, when you take the disparate elements of the Man of Steel Smallville that they do, and I think the three to four cutscenes that kind of are interspersed in adult Clark's life, um, each individually has some good elements, um, but they all... I would say each one of them derived from another piece of media as opposed to being its own take, whereas Superman and Lois, like, they haven't really shown this struggle before of Clark deciding to leave early, outside of maybe in Smallville when, when Clark goes to Smallville at the end of, I think, season one or season two. I think it's season one, where he goes to Metropolis and becomes a bank robber briefly. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, but, season, that's season two. That's the end it? of season okay, two. Yeah. Season, one, season one ends with the tornado. Yeah, right. So that's right. Yeah. So so it's and, and, and Lana's boyfriend died. Fake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jensen, but uh, it's it's a um, it's a pump fake in Smallville, and here it's um, it's absolutely going to be something that I'm sure we'll feel later. The the idea that Clark left a little early, um, and it wasn't when he was ready to age seven years and come out of that uh, come out of the fortress, presumably. But um, it was when he realized that if he stuck around there, he was going to become Superboy. I kind of get the impression. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, okay, so why don't you summarize the episode for us and jump into spoilers? Because I badly want to jump ahead and talk about the one piece of this that irritated the crap out of me. So so spoiler summary, did I hear that right? Do you summarize the episode for us and then we'll hop into spoilers. Okay. All right. Well, I will summarize it without the spoilers. It is an episode where Captain Luthor makes a move. You uh, have a you have a situation where um, Clark faces a reckoning of his past. He he talks. Um, he he faces a reckoning of his past and uh, confronts uh, his son making a similar decision. He um, and we also have uh, a little bit of culmination of what's going on with Morgan Edge without uh, w w with a bit of a battle. 
Yeah, no, <clears throat> that that's a fair summary. Um, if you haven't watched the episode, there'll be spoilers from here on in. It's two weeks old. You probably should have watched it before <laughs> at this point if you're listening to this. Um, okay, so there's a lot to love about this episode. The one piece... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with what I liked and what I didn't like, but I'm going to start with what I didn't like because it really, really bugged me. And it wasn't so much, it wasn't so much an element of the episode itself. It was more what they telegraphed because now the speculation around Jonathan Kent, for me at least, is over. Um, and what I presume we are going to see this season at some point is Jonathan's character decline is going to continue and his jealousy of his brother is going to continue and his feelings of lack of worth relative to his brother and his relationship with his father is going to continue and he is going to dose himself with ex-kryptonite and unlike the humans who have done so because he's half Kryptonian he will survive and that is how he is going to get his powers and be the superboy from the comics. <laughs> I don't know if they I telegraphed back. that they telegraphed that hard this episode. I think that they are they are hinting that they will go in a direction where Jonathan will completely break from his brother and they will become adversarial. But I don't know. I mean, here's here's the good thing about it is that it, it doesn't seem telegraphed to me. That is certainly a potentiality. I think that is a possibility. But I think that they can go in many, many, many directions with it. I think that um, they're doing the same thing they're doing with Luthor. It's very easy to see that he could end up in an antagonistic relationship with um, with Superman, or he could end up uh, end up happy with uh, with him in partnership. Um, it could he could become a main member of the cast. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of um, the assumptions that come with uh, Rhea Seahorn in, in in Better Call Saul. The assumption that almost everybody seems to make is that she is going to die horribly and that will motivate the main character. But in a story as cleverly told as Better Call Saul, and in a story as cleverly told as Superman and Lois seems to be, I'm not um, I'm not my usual self where I can kind of use my spider plot sense and see things coming and um, and decide ahead of time, which is which is a mark of good storytelling, because every time I've tried to do it, I've been wrong. I thought Kandorians, I'm wrong, because that's that's just too comic book and rote. There are so many things in this show that I've expected to be um, one particular thing, but it's become its its own thing in such a way that, um, that, that I'm confident that the storytelling will take me where it should go, but I don't actually know where that is, which is the mark of the best kind of storytelling. See, but I'm starting to see the mechanics of the writing on the plot. And I mean, any series, as you get into it, you're going to start to notice that stuff. It doesn't matter how good the writing is. Writing by committee is almost always... Like, even Watchmen, which we're going to get around to talking about at some point. Um, eventually, I started figuring out where they were going with it. There were a couple of surprises by the end, but not as many as I would have liked. And that's just a function of episodic TV. Um, but... The fact that Morgan Edge is inexplicably fixating on Lana Lang is going to... This, this isn't even a prediction. <clears throat> this is just... This, this is what I see... How I see the chips falling into place at this part of the season. Um, the fact that Morgan Edge is fixating on Lana Lang. The fact that they're trying to make Morgan Edge 
uh, appear convincingly sympathetic to the town people of Smallville so that people like the Langs will let them in, is going to expose Morgan Edge to the Kent boys and the idea of using ex-Kryptonite on one of Lois Lane's sons is going to prove too tempting to him. And they are telegraphing Jonathan Kent's descent into jealousy and resentment, et cetera, et cetera, really hard so that they feel like they've earned it when Jonathan eventually succumbs to Morgan's seduction and gets dosed with ex-Kryptonite. And I'm not saying that's a bad story. That's a good story. I just hate that we're five episodes in and I'm starting to see the grip of writer's mechanics on the show. I don't know if I, I I don't know if I see it because with Jonathan it could go either way. Um, I think that it it would be more likely in terms of a storytelling perspective that Edge would dose him because one thing that they work really hard to preserve with Jonathan is the fact that he's making mistakes, not just choosing to be uh, petulant. Like it's right. he he has real regret when he makes every error. It's not just like because I'm a jock boy I get to do this. Um but oh, also Oh no no, he's a good No no, he's a good he's a good boy. He's a well-realized character. I'm not I'm not yeah. complaining about the writing of the characters or indicating that this represents a flaw in their writing. I mm-hmm. it just it started to feel like to me that they're rushing to tip their hand as to what the plot is going to ultimately be. Or, or, and this is this is where I was headed. I think uh, alternatively, we could have a situation where the because good writing often knows that th- there's this Pixar principle. There's this list of Pixar principles for good storytelling that uh, that I've uh, read and quoted and thought about many many times because a lot of them are very very accurate. But the best of the list is always what wouldn't happen next as as a good storytelling choice. Um, because the audience builds their expectations, and when you lean into those expectations and then you subvert those expectations, you get the most dramatic storytelling turns. For instance, Darth Vader is Luke's father? That is the most (laughs) impossible thing that could happen next, and that's why it's such a pinnacle of storytelling. Um, it doesn't work as well when, when you do it twice, because, you know, like there's the argument that Leia being Luke's sister is, um, is a bit, uh, trying to capture the same magic. Um, it's why you can't, uh, you can't jump the shark. Um, but, but with Jonathan, it would be perfectly legitimate and good storytelling for them to create that expectation and then subvert it entirely. And then it becomes Jordan who actually does, take the take the the serum to to maybe redeem his brother or do something good and i will be pleasantly surprised if that occurs like i don't want to be right here because i want to be surprised by this show um i'm just concerned at this stage of the game that they're they're building up to whatever sweeps looks like in 2021 amid a pandemic and they want to hit us with a couple of reveals and being so so here here's the problem that they're up against because this show unlike stuff unlike peak tv on hbo or showtime or even the originals made by netflix and prime and all those you know because this show is network tv and it still as good as it is has to conform to the network tv pace and schedule 
the writers know the only way they can shock and awe come whatever the their version of sweeps looks like this year is by earning whatever the reveals are. So I'm operating under the assumption that the clues they're dropping hard right now are going to have to be the breadcrumbs for whatever they feel they've earned in four episodes. They could. Do you know they what I mean? Like that. they're still my, locked my, in that cycle. I think I think that's a little bit um CW type thinking, which I, it completely makes sense because that's the that's the pattern we've been taught to expect because CW will do that. During sweeps they'll have a couple of big reveals and they'll sometimes force it to earn it, at least back in Smallville days. I mean, I can't speak to the more current series, but it seems they follow the same pattern. Um, and I think that this show might actually be more more dedicated to the kind of peak TV episodic thing that they won't, they won't take that turn. I think that they'll probably just keep telling solid story until the end, and I think the end is going to be, you know, a big twist or a big turn of some kind that they probably already know what it's going to be and are working towards as opposed to most episodic TV where they're like, how are we going to get rid of all these Phantom Zone villains? Well, we'll figure it out on the way. Bizarro's <laughs> going to be there. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's, um, you may be absolutely right. They may, they may get outside pressure to do that, but I get the feeling that they're definitely trying to go for the, um, for the more, the more, the more thoughtful television uh, uh, kind of angle and, and will avoid that. But I could be wrong. But it, as, as you're, as, as we're just talking about what could be projected, what could, you know, um, what could not if if i were to be like what would be the mid-season sweeps thing um i i don't know if they would blow their jonathan uh uh wad yet uh in the in the um in the uh projectile sense of uh of like like how do you blow all your wad um i think that um <laughs> I'm dancing around it because I don't want the metaphor to sound dirty, but I'm I'm talking about artillery, nothing else. You dirty-minded, shenanigan-filled people. Um, but but there's also like in clever storytelling, there there might be a little bit better of a story for the temptation of uh, Kyle, you know, because Kyle, if anything, is telegraphing a turn toward the worst in this episode for me, and I think that Kyle has has earned a I'm going to take a turn towards selfishness kind of thing a little bit more. And he is very, very closely allied with Morgan Edge to the point of where he is <laughs> he is perfectly willing to watch his wife essentially flirt with the dude. Uh, well, watch him essentially flirt yeah, with his wife. Yeah, and he makes Lana, that Lana snarky... Part of it. He makes that yeah. snarky comment to Lois and Beppo about Lois's car blowing up. When yeah, he, so... When, yeah, like... So there's there's Jonathan going, I'm gonna just get surly and take this 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 ex kryptonite. Or there's the angle that this like of the good storytelling telling angle here where Kyle's like, I've gotta save this town. I can become its savior like Superman is. I'm going to become the super firefighter that I've always envisioned myself to be. I'm going to ally with Morgan Edge, the businessman who's a job creator, and kind of subtly become Without Lana knowing, without, well, the, you know. The irony, if they do go that route, is that given that he'll be a character with heat vision that will probably be out of control initially, he will become <laughs> the stereotypical small town fire chief who starts fires so his fire team have something to do. Um, Which you called. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, um, I see that a little bit more. 
I do hope you're right. Um, I am willing to bet you your first Tim Hortons double double delivered by Uber <laughs> Eats that you're wrong. <laughs> See, that would be require that would require me to use Uber Eats. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, that's the thing. I I don't know if I would double down or make a bet on anything in this show outside of the fact that I I think I would bet money that Luthor is not a bad guy. Um, I think that it's it's very plain that they are setting him up to be perhaps adversarial with Superman, but certainly sympathetic. Uh, I hope that they will not make the mistake of um, having him, you know, like there was that moment where he flirted with killing a bunch of innocent civilians, but you can also still make the story argument yet that he knew that Superman would save them and that it wasn't an attempted murder. Fair. Okay, so... What I what did you like from this episode? And I know it's mostly everything, but give give me it, your it high is, points. The 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 best parts I think for me are the bit where they absolutely captured what it's like to have an alcoholic parent and their their stunning descent into self pity while their children kind of um, go by the wayside. Having experienced that personally, they very well captured what it's like to be a young person with real problems confronting a somewhat functional uh, teenager with some very mild issues acting like it's the end of the world that they didn't get an A on their paper or that their little girlfriend broke up with them. Um, they captured that entirely to the point of where I was drawn back to being 15 again. I love I, and continue to love the way that Lois and Clark parent and how realistic a, a depiction of positive parenting it is and how intact that fits with my vision of how superman the character would become superman the parent and how perfect it is pitch perfect um i love that they they surprised me because i knew that they were going to have the drinking have a consequence but i love seeing jordan actually bear the brunt of his brother's problems in the way that his brother has borne the brunt of his problems sometimes with his anxiety before and the way that it just came so out of the blue. And that's the way it is. You start falling in love with someone when you're 15 if you're in a bad situation. And uh, just everything conspires. The parents acting dumb. The dumb sibling doing something that's self-destructive. And it just pulls you apart far more than it would in, see, say, like your average television drama. Where it's like, something explodes and Superman had to take me away. It's not ham-handed. <laughs> it's character. It's very real. So that resonates very deeply. I also really, really like what they're doing with Luthor, the way that the actor has portrayed him as it reads as both deeply sinister or also someone who is so wryly disappointed with the world around him that he's absolutely justified and has become emotionless. And it also reads as someone who is in love and realizes that the object of his love is right there and he can't speak to them. And all of those okay, things are so happening in one. I wanted, I wanted to talk with you about that because I read your yeah, review of the episode and mm -hmm. you liked the interaction between him and Lois. And yeah. it drove me bug nuts because he came off as <clears throat> not hiding his emotions for her particularly well and this is an iteration of Lois Lane who is hyper observant and would have read that interaction as creepy. Like he was dropping body language and verbal tics 
that would make me deeply uncomfortable if I ran into a rando person in a bar and she was just blithely ignoring them. I think that there were elements of that there, but also I think it kind of read to me a little bit as here's someone who's got a lot of experience and a lot of fame and a lot of success as a writer. And there are other people who have less that will come to them for mentorship and will kind of talk to them. And there's, there's, there's a deep admiration that borders on love there um, that, you know, it, it, you learn not to take it as seriously because people look up to, to, to other people that are doing what they do, uh, what, what they want to do. And you, you can't take that as anything more than what it is, which is kind of a mild fetishization that's mostly benign. Um, and I, I can say that, yeah, it, it, if it, the dynamic of like a girl and then a dude's coming up to her and saying, I want to share your byline and I just want to be a part of Team Lois could absolutely in the wrong, if it f acted the wrong way, come across as like creepy stalker. But the way it played, I think it read as sincere. It just re he read like a, a a download dude who wanted to uh, hide the fact that he was kind of um, in awe and yet still express um, respect for her credentials. Um, and it and, and yes, I think that Lois being an investigative reporter would be curious. But I think she was also um, she she also didn't let her guard down. She just said uh, she did the Superman thing. The uh, the you are, I believe in you until you give me reason to prove otherwise, which is, I think, fundamental traits of both of their characters. No, that's fair. Okay. Um, the Smallville flashback scenes. I know you and I both loved them. Yeah, no, that's the, and, and the way that they fed into them with the conflict that was happening in the past and in the future, it was very Lindelof and lost. It was, uh, but without being so on the nose about it, it was very much this follows, this follows, this follows, this, and it helped clark solve his conflict and it helped jonathan solve his conflict and they both met organically in the middle and that was brilliant storytelling and we've never seen a kid actor as superboy before have we uh it, well, yeah how, how old was gerard gerard was you know over 18 easily yeah the kid was great and he he struck me as in his interactions with martha as petulant almost in the same ways that Jonathan and Jordan are like he was very much a teenager in his decision making um yeah. and you could feel the emotional weight of not considering the ramifications of his actions playing out in those scenes um there wasn't the uh overwhelming joy that we sometimes get when we see a teenage superhero exercising their powers in public there was this abundance of caution that's been instilled by his dad and like it, it just played incredibly well having an actual kid in the role it it felt like the he an early an early adult petulance um in the sense that like I always try and put myself in in the perspective of what it must like to be to to be to grow up as Superman or Martian Manhunter. It's one of the reasons I want to write Martian Manhunter so much is because imagine growing up, growing up and um, being able to hear others' thoughts and what that must mean. But with um, but with Clark, imagine being able to hear everyone 
the moment you turn your back and still having Clark's character, still being someone who fundamentally believes in people because you, you, you would realize very quickly on that what people say behind their backs is also an expression of uh, fear sometimes. But in this case, you know, like it, it reads as he comes there and he's like, you're not going to hurt me, but you should absolutely put those things back. And I'm mad that you're stealing because you're better than this. And it's not like Superman would be like the grown adult Superman. He'd go there and he'd be like, come on now, boys, you know better. You know better. This is wrong. <laughs> you're, you're better than this. All of you, da Danny, I heard you when you went into the store the other day. You were nice to old lady Carruthers. You do not need a 32-inch screen television. Like Superman would go the persuasive route, the fatherly route. And yet young Clark is very much like, you're going to put that back because it's the right thing to do. And that's very teenage. Uh, he's like, and he's, yeah. he doesn't, he's not like, I'm going to take your gun and twist it into a bow. He snaps it to be like, this will scare you because I know it would scare me. And then they're like, okay, okay. And then he disappears. He doesn't relish it. He's like, this is, this is what I'm learning about people. People are like this. Yeah, I would, listen, if they ever decide to do a spinoff show and call it, say, Little Town, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's focused entirely on that version of Clark Kent turning into Superman. I would watch it. No one's ever done anything like that before. <laughs> we'll have our cake and eat it too, I have no doubt, because I am sure that this show has, has established those characters for this re very reason to keep coming back to it. And that's probably yeah. why they chose a young actor, so that when that actor ages up to 18 to 20 or whatever, he can still play like Tom Holland, the younger guy. It, it was almost like a microcosm of everything that was wrong with Gotham, but in reverse. <laughs> I saw, I, I think, exactly half an episode of Gotham. And the reason I started watching a little bit of Gotham was because one of my favorite, favorite, favorite writers of all time, who I am happily going to plug right now, Charlie Houston, who taught me more about writing than almost anybody, um, with with rare exception, uh, wrote for Gotham, and I, I I still haven't watched his part of it. But when I heard that he was doing it, I actually tried to watch that thing from the start, but I couldn't get very far. Um, but yeah, go read Charlie Houston. Caught stealing six bad things, uh, Mystic Art of Erasing All Signs of Death. You'll have a great time. <laughs> right on. Uh, but yeah, no, it reminded me like that kind of storytelling, the young superhero storytelling. It works in either small doses or small scale. It doesn't necessarily work as a big operatic superhero show. And Gotham proved that. And this little snippet that we got in Superman and Lois proved that. It's why Fawcett Comics back in the day had to get sued into oblivion by DC because the magic formula is juxtapositioning the adult superhero with the small child as your point of view character, which is what they did with Captain Marvel with Shazam. Um, and yeah, they tease out little doses of that every once in a while to compare and contrast with what the boys are going through in the modern era. I, I, I'm here for it. I still believe that they could have made Smallville work if it had been four years before he put on the suit and if they hadn't been so rigid about the... Uh, I think they could have told that coming-of-age story. Um, the problem is episodic television, you can't really do that very well. If they, had, if they had stuck to the, this is the arc over time, this is Lex slowly descending, this is Clark rising to the obligation, 
this is Lana and Clark in love and then and then broken apart and why. If they had stuck close to the to the things that made that that show great as opposed to like what's a new way that we can make kryptonite turn someone into I don't know a jack in the box with a knife that springs out of it this week. Um yeah. I think I think they but you're right it's it's hardly ever done and it's never I'm trying to think of a time when it's been done re- well a teenage drama that captures things um I haven't seen for I mean obvi- 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 obvious so. obviously Dawson's obviously Dawson's Creek yeah, see, I didn't I didn't watch Dawson's Creek, sadly. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I, I, I very, very young, I did the Beverly Hills 90210 thing, but now, you know, like, I watched the episode of that in retrospect, and when you're not 10, you're like, wow, these are all 30-year-old people. Um, and, yeah, yeah. But but it's because kids project. It's the same reason why Superman works for, for the youngest of kids, is because they project their want to do good onto this grown person. It's like, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up, certainly. And then they get cynical. <laughs> Well, and Dawson's Creek had two advantages over it that all previous teenage dramas and most subsequent ones didn't have. The more most important one being the writing of Kevin Williamson pre-Scream, um, who is a brilliant writer. Um, and the fact that unlike every other show that was treading that water prior to that point, they actually cast teenage actors in the role, which gave it that feeling of authenticity. And I'm always surprised that I'm surprised when that works well. Like I brought up Tom Holland, the the thing that made his arrival on the scene in um, Civil War so exuberant and so enjoyable was this was a kid and this was a kid with a new with a new york accent yeah right which nobody had ever thought kids like that yeah like bringing tom holland in it fits perfectly you got that you got uh i don't know super bad recently like book smart book smart was magnificent you know like you, you you can capture that element of 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 because you can always take one night in a teenager's life and see the whole arc of being a teenager very well. But uh, actually, well, even Shazam, Shazam does a better Superman movie than the last yeah. couple of Superman movies because oh, they clearly. tap into that same feeling. Yeah, and 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 arguably, you know, we could be seeing the beginnings of this thing that we're talking about here because Jonathan and Jordan and Sarah are all very fleshed out. And they're not inconsistent with the exception of the one episode. Uh, and, and their arcs are progressing slowly enough that it can it can actually go from A to B to C and yet still have that chaotic nature that, that teenagers have sometimes. Um, but then again, the problem is I'm not incredibly versed in, in that genre as much. I, you know, I'm sure things like, I don't know, people, people uh, praise Gilmore Girls uh, quite a lot with me, and, and I understand that that has a teenage protagonist um, involved that, that, that has a very full arc. Um, and there's lots of stuff that I just haven't seen, mostly because you know I, I read a lot of books and I don't see too many TV shows. So The, the Harvest Festival in this episode, on that vein felt very much to me there was almost a deja vu feeling um there's an episode of euphoria that takes place in kind of a boardwalk environment there you go and you yeah and euphoria is a very different type of show but the (laughs) the the two scenes despite their completely different contexts 
felt like they could have been written and directed by the same team. Euphoria, you know, I still don't know what I think about Euphoria, and I keep thinking about it, which is a good sign. But, like, the thing about Euphoria is it's like, what if a 40-year-old man thought really, really, really hard about what it's like to be a modern teenager and captured a lot of it really well, but also put in a lot of his weird 40-year-old man ideas? That's Euphoria. Right, and that's, yeah, and that's... The context is very different, but the, like you know the scene I'm talking about. Did yeah, the, I did do. the Harvest yeah. Festival in this episode not feel very, I wouldn't even say derivative. It just felt like it came from the same pool of authenticity of both teenage life and the small town, you know, festival, fair life. Like it, they're capturing moments of time that are very analogous to one another. Yeah. And and that's when 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 Euphoria is at its best. That's when it, when it just has like these things that kids actually experience, and having the the cojones to um to show it in a way that people are typically afraid to on shows. Like like what do you mean? Children are sexual? Are you, you teenagers? No. You know, in America, that's a lot harder to 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 accept. Uh, I, I can't speak for Canada, but I know that that people are deathly afraid of admitting that kids sometimes act like adults to the detriment of story. Um because you don't want to be you don't want to be um you don't want to be a 40-year-old dude writing about kids having sex because there is something absolutely wrong in that that is obvious, right? But yeah, at the same time, that means that there's this whole area where, where an entire group of people who love story more than perhaps adults don't have something that expresses or talks about a thing that they're actually going through. So that's why I can't decide what I feel about that. But Smallville never, or Superman and Lois is obviously never going to go that far. But the authenticity that is present in Euphoria that everyone seems to um, latch onto, the young and the old, uh, the part that's good about it, um, is absolutely, you're, you're right, it, it's dead there in that scene. It's there in the scene with, with Kyle um, when he's being morose um it's it's been in many many parts of this series and 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 it's kind of like what we're that that show that 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 we were talking about that that has teenagers doing their thing thing and i think that 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 i i feel remiss because i forgot to mention euphoria when i was thinking is there a show that does this because i just watched that recently and yeah that absolutely is one of the better examples for me right and what that comparison when I was watching this episode made me realize was it's a credit to what they've done with this show that you could plunk Zendaya's character from Euphoria into this community and it wouldn't feel like she's out of place or from a different universe. Yeah, you could plunk almost any of them in there. I, the, the, I can, and and they would probably have good arcs together. Honestly. Um, I think yeah. uh, a lot of the a lot of the problems that are present in Euphoria, and, and not problems, I mean a lot of the conflicts are um, are small town conflicts. Even though a lot of it takes place in it seems the suburbs, um, but they're they're very they're very familial conflicts, um, which is a lot of what yeah. s- Superman and Lois is delving into. And it's it's doing so in a way that we don't typically see in superhero fare, which I guess is my point, like. The the thing that even the other CW shows 
um, do Smallville especially did this, but even the other like Arrowverse shows all do it is they are all living in a version of reality that is cleaner and more optimistic and squeakier than real life. And Superman and Lois doesn't fall into that trap. Yes, it's genre TV. Yes, it's telling a science fiction-y superhero story. But the very human underpinnings of that story are incredibly well-grounded. Well, going to the whole Zack Snyder thing, we want a story that's like what it would happen if it really happened, man, if it really happened. Um, if that's your goal, Superman and Lois is is doing a magnificent job of that. The problem is they get focused on the plot part of that. Like, what's it like if someone has lasers for eyes? What's it like if someone flies through a building? Um, but if it would really happen, what you should be thinking about, it'd be like, what if a person with all of the power in the world had all of the character in the world? And how would that how would that interact with small town America? It's not about the heat vision and how that's realistically depicted. It's how they would be a father how their kids yeah. would interact with other kids, how how a marriage would result if that person was still earnest at the age of, well, I guess he's 35. I was going to say 40 because I always see Superman um, as an adult um, around my age because that's, you know, that's my self-centered viewpoint, but I know that he's younger <laughs> than me now. He's, he's going to be younger than me evermore unless I go to Kingdom Come version of my, uh, my Superman, which I doubt I ever will. <laughs> Um, because I don't think I'm going to get that cynical. I think I'm going to retain my idealism as much as I see bad things all around. But, but I think that the, the realistic argument, I suppose, um, is ringing more true for Superman and Lois than ironically, this movie that builds itself around what, what if it really happened, man? Well, and the, what if it really happened, man, version of this story is Brightburn. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And 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 it, that's the other thing, the lens of how it would really happen. Because, you know, if you're thinking the way that it would really happen is that entire cities would be leveled and everything would be terrible, well, why don't you just go watch The Boys instead of making a Superman movie? <laughs> right. There, There's a deconstructionist element. There's a very Alan Moore-ish, Watchmen-ish element to what's yeah. happening in the Snyderverse. And if you dig that, that's cool. But well, and I like the boys. A, There's nothing wrong with the boys. Yeah. It's just it's not yeah. Superman. No. And the whole point of the boys and the whole point of Watchmen is it's a send-up of superheroes. It's hard to do a Superman movie through a deconstructionist lens because you just wind up with a mess. You wind up with something that looks like you don't like superheroes very much. Yeah, or that you believe that uh, it, it, there's something so deeply cynical about the idea that if people were to have more power, they would just use it terribly. It's very Randian, which is also very Snyder. Um, it, it's like, yeah, everybody's everybody's essentially terrible, and only the more powerful people who are smarter about the way that they take their advantage are the survivors. Um, you gotta you know. stop saying Snyder. You gotta stop saying Snyder's name like you're saying dog poo. Um, <laughs> I could just start saying lips. dog poo. Well, so so <laughs> to, to clarify, there, I think Snyder is a visionary filmmaker when it comes to you know uh, his vision. The lens stuff that he does is really great. I think that the problem is there's another half of the movie called story. 
Um, but but uh, like yeah. I love watching the visuals of 300. I love watching the visuals of um, other things that he's done. But I think he's uh, the whole uh, this person is more important than the story being told, which is what happens when your name is bigger than the actual uh, story you're telling. Um, gets in the way and you, it, it takes away the sense of collaboration that any good piece of, co uh, of, of art is when it's something that's made by more than one person. Um, but yeah. to Superman and Lois bringing it back, this is a show that very clearly is about Superman and Lois. Not I was talking to Milo about this, actually. Like Milo was like, hey, Dad, what's the name of the... I, I know that we're talking about Snyder a lot because he's watched the movies with me for, for, for prep for Ampersand and Sons. And, and he's like, what, what's the name of the person doing Superman and Lois? And I, I was embarrassed because I, I was like, I should know. But the important thing is that I don't because it doesn't matter yeah. because he is not making himself or she is not making himself, though I think the, the showrunner is a he. Um, I think I remember that much. Uh, that they're not making themselves more important than the title characters. They're not making it their vision. They're making it these characters and their vision. Um, yeah, they're just more. they're making us. Yeah, it's a vehicle for the story they want to tell with these characters. And the the deeper we go in, so I I have a different take on Superman as a parent in this show than you do. This was actually the first episode where I didn't jot down Superman as a bad dad at any point <laughs> in the episode. Um, but their vision for who this these two characters are and who their kids are feels true in a way that we haven't gotten to see another superman medium and i'm not crapping on all like you and i would disagree wildly on superman returns and i'm fully aware that i watch that movie through a lens of absolute adoration for the first two donner super well the donner superman movie and the lester superman movie um and so that's coloring my perception of it we've had good superman media before i don't think we've had a live action Superman story that feels as well grounded in our reality on screen. The closest yes, I analog I can I can find to this, and it's not as good a story, but it feels as authentic, is Superman Earth One. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Superman Earth One, but I will say that at this point, five episodes in, uh, and I'll probably get crucified for this one. But five episodes in, this is this is my favorite piece of Superman media on television so far. I think it's surpassed Smallville at this point. Um, and yeah. that's that's uh, that's probably going to get me crucified. But what the heck? Uh, but on another front, uh, with something that you just said, I don't actually know if we disagree about Superman Returns at this point because my opinion has shifted with the lens of time. I know that my review is is like people really remember that review and talk about the review of Superman Returns, but I honestly don't remember a word of it, so I don't know if, if it even reflects what I think now. Uh, that's the weird thing about reviews. About a year after it, you forget a lot of it because it's also uh, at the time. But we should that's another thing we should look at is we should probably watch Superman Returns, especially if we're doing we should We should read like Snyder. We should revisit it, not just in the context of, of a, a comparison to Snyder, but also it's relevant because Brandon Routh is now playing a Kingdom Come version of that <laughs> character in yes. Legends of Tomorrow, and they are reprising that role in a future episode they announced this week. 
Did they? I didn't know in, in the Supergirl final season or I don't know if it's going to be in the Supergirl season, but they I, I read an article saying that he was going to strap up and play that version of Superman at least one more time. Interesting. That would be nice because it, it might it would be it would be weird if they did it in Superman and Lois, but they could certainly do it. They could absolutely have him if they did it, you know, it, it, well, I don't know. I don't I don't want to speculate because I'm going to let the and story tell itself. That's that's a crossover. I would absolutely adore. I would love to see Routh's Kingdom Come version of Superman encounter this version of Superman. Well, we talked about the crossover and how difficult it would be, but also it would be very Mixes Piddlick. You know, one of the things that they could do, they could absolutely do. It's occurring to me. If I were in the writing room, I might suggest this as a as, as an, a, a throw spaghetti idea. Um, would be a situation where you have. Um, you have this very serious, very grounded story, and then suddenly you have the very bright and shiny and this is Superman kind of Superman <laughs> from 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 the uh, crisis show up, or even just um, you know if something affected Superman, so he started acting like he did in Crisis from Superman and Lois. There's something there. I don't know if they could do it or pull it off, but I mean, they, they, they can put, I have faith in the commitment that this is, this is the one thing that the CW writers have done extremely well, uh, with respect to all the Arrowverse shows, when they make a crossover happen, they make it fundamentally make sense. Having John Wesley ship playing Barry Allen in his nineties era TV show flash suit <laughs> sounds horrific and corny but they actually play it for some really heavy emotional pathos and it's gloriously well done um i don't know if you watched all of crisis on infinite earths or not I did. but these the Zack snyder version of the flash has a cameo in it and gets the idea for the name the flash from the arrowverse version of himself yeah yeah i saw that i think i think um like the crossover thing, and it made sense. It it well, that's whether it would make sense is is the thing. Like for me, it doesn't. It was kind of jarring. Like like for people who I'm sure have watched all the CW stuff, it would work. But for me, like seeing the Ralph Superman in this universe was a little jarring, and seeing the Flash in that universe was a little jarring. Um, I mean, I I reconciled it, but it was not. It wasn't seamless for me. But I. It, but the reason I'm kind of so so fascinated with this idea right now is I believe with the quality of writing and the quality of production that Superman and Lois has had, part of me wants to see them rise to that challenge and make it work. I suppose is, is a better way of articulating what I was trying to say. Um, but that's not to say that that you know that's not just me being the guy who comes in from the side and expects everything to work for me on issue 457 of a comic book series, <laughs> which is which is not fair. It's not fair to do that. Um, but, but to, uh, but that's, that's why it didn't work for me, but I'm sure if you had been watching the whole way, it probably would have been worked fine. And if you were locked into that universe, so. Yeah. And it did. And, and I have been locked into that universe. And for me, it was, it felt very seamless. Um, I don't know what else with this episode you want to talk about, but there's one thing that I really wanted to talk about, which is Martha Kent. Um, yeah. I realized watching this episode that outside certain runs of the comics, Martha Kent has gotten short thrift as a dominant influence on Clark. We always get the Jonathan Kent 
uh emotional arc and clark's son. you know dad issue yeah yeah son. clark's dad issue <laughs> clark's dad issues revolving around that but we in live action at least even in superman returns and in man of steel she's she's basically a fr- a fridged version of the character she exists to provide um, emotional motivation for Clark. Yeah, that's, and that's all in the women this, in those episodes or in those movies. <laughs> yeah, and in this episode, this one episode of TV in which she's got like 15 minutes of screen time tops, we get more, like, it was almost jarring how much of a fully realized character with her own motivations that had nothing to do with her son she was and how we got to see her as this essential component of the community and how that would have impacted his desire to positively impact community. Like it was just, it was mind blowing and revelatory for me. Yeah, they did. They, you know, it was Smallville even. They had like the four or five years or whatever that Jonathan Kent was there and then he croaks. And then you've got like, what are we going to do with Martha now? Like, doesn't she, be, she doesn't become a state senator. I know Jonathan becomes a state senator, but doesn't she end up- No, like, she does. Ro- she, in, she she inherits his seat. That's what it was. Yeah, I was like, let's give Martha something to do. She's a senator now. And, and they treat her like a like a United States senator instead of a state senator. Like They give her yeah. ungodly amounts of power for a small representative from a Kansas district with like 10 people in it and yeah they're like that'll give her something to do yeah they don't actually (laughs) well but that's that's what smallville did they were like what can we throw at the wall next (laughs) yeah but this we get like like i said 10 15 minutes of martha kent and she has this immense impact that you then get to read back into clark's parenting of his own kids and the way he has a relationship with lois and the way he interacts and feels for this town and i can't recall again there have been a couple of um there have been a couple of arcs in the comics, like Superman for All Seasons, where she has a bit more weight. Um, we got a little bit of that in Lois and Clark whenever she showed up. But, like, they played Jonathan and Martha as kind of like the bumbling farmer types. There wasn't really a lot of deliberateness to them beyond being an archetypal farmer character. Um, we get a fully realized emotional... <laughs> Martha Kent, who all of a sudden the fact that they killed her off in the first episode, really, you feel the weight of that decision. Yeah, and I think that they'll have her back. I, I just I was tittering there because I did just watch Justice League, and because uh, it because it's a, a comparison and a parallel that fits and should be drawn. Um, I just realized just just now because I was thinking about the way that the that, that the women are not necessarily fridged because they don't die, but um, the way that they're treated as props for Superman, both Lois and Martha. Not Wonder Woman, I should clarify. But um, but Lois, for the entirety of Justice League, is just like, I'm going to go stand and look at this wall. They do that with Wonder Woman, too, though. They're like, I'm going to sit here for this entire movie and pawn for a, uh, fawn for over a man that I lost 80 years ago because that's what a strong woman would do. Uh, but, y- you know, like... Um, I realized that the one moment of substance that Martha Kent has in Justice League, I believe it's Justice League, when she has the the speech with with the... No, maybe it's in Batman v Superman. But she's sitting there and she's talking to me, you don't owe them anything. 
Don't do it if you don't want. Don't go there. You don't have to do it, you know? I realized that yeah. what they just did, they didn't give Martha Kent a scene. They put a Mar- they put a Pa Kent scene in Ma Kent's mouth so that she'd have something to do, and that's how little regard they have for that character, as opposed to, like, say, here with Superman and Lois. But in their defense, typically, because she, as a character, has not had the emotional importance that Jonathan Kent has had... There isn't this rich history of characterization to draw upon. You almost have to make it up because everyone's always given her the short end of the stick. Her job is to grieve Jonathan Kent and kind of worry about her son. That strikes me as less of a defense of them and more of an indictment because a good writer or a good creator would come up with with a role for her or not include her. See, I'm sitting there like, like if you're if your only way that you can use Martha Kent in that story is making her a prop for for her husband's words, then just excise her or come up with another reason for her to be there. But that's you know, that's the truth, not just for Martha Kent in those movies, but almost every character, with the lone exception of some elements of Cyborg, I would say. Um, yeah. And, you know, all three of them, like none of them know why they're there, what they want or why outside of servicing the plot that is very thin to begin with. So fair. I don't know. OK, so we, we got some plot movement in this episode with respect to the actual Superman stuff, not just the small town stuff. So we got mm-hmm. a little bit more insight into X Kryptonite. We have our uh, our missing minor back. Um, yes. and the about face of his mom and their very weird relationship. There's one moment <laughs> where I kind of, I had to rewind because she's lamenting the fact that her extremely adult grown son has just left her as if she's worth nothing. And it felt like someone <laughs> lamenting that their husband was gone, which I thought was a very game of Thronesy take on the mother son <laughs> dynamic. Um, but we got some forward movement there. We got a little bit more insight into the ex-Kryptonite piece, although the way they're going about it felt clunky and weird to me. Like, they just have this machine sitting in this factory, and they, you know, dose you with, like, a radiation bath in this weird factory in Smallville, and then you're you're get Like, I don't understand the choices they're making there, but the plot moved. <laughs> The, the part where they do the superhero-y things is where Superman and Lois tends to fail the most. But even so, it's so brief that you can usually forgive it, at least with me. Like, yeah. I, I, the, the weird MRI machine is odd, but it, 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 I forget it immediately when I see that wonderful scene with Superman chasing and fixing all the problems, like, right away, with Luthor right there doing the, like, oh, I'm right behind him, I got my rocket launcher, you know, and uh, my self-driving yeah, yeah. car, you know, Luthor with the self-driving car. That's, you know, that was almost fan service for me because I watched it twice and I giggled both times. I was like, you know, like I was like that. I don't usually do that in the way that most fans tend to when they see the thing that they like. They're like, oh, I know that I did that because just that's such a hey, he puts out Luthor thing for me. They find a way for Clark to put out the fire as Clark without having to knock anybody unconscious. Unconscious. 
And that, you know, they could they could have very easily gotten away with Superman shows up and blurs right out. But instead, they were like, it's more important that he tries to keep Superman out of Smallville so people don't associate that he's there with his family. That's craft. That's thinking. That's caring about the plot. Because the average viewer probably wouldn't even notice. But the, 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 the writer would know. You know, and yeah. and that's that's like the uh, like the craftsman building a wall. You know that little place where the drywall is wiggly, and no one else will. And you could just let it go, but you got to sleep with yourself at night. And if you want to be a good craftsman, you make that little thing. You you make it flush. Yeah, a little, a little sanding on there. You sand that thing a little bit, and then then it's flat. And it's that good. and that was it. that was always that was always the part about Superman three, which for those too young to have watched it like superman goes back to smallville um (laughs) and actually shows up in smallville as superman as like how do these people who grew up with this character who know who he is are now standing in front of him in the town square (laughs) not going hey why is clark wearing a superman costume yeah no back when uh superboy flew a lot easily uh a lot more easily among the uh among the audience the general audience yeah sure oh yeah clark kent came from smallville now clark kent's in metropolis superboy was in smallville now superboy's in metropolis what a weird coincidence <laughs> and they were both right and they orders and they touch that beautifully by having the young version of Clark Kent wearing a mask for his superheroics. Because, duh, it's a small town. Someone would figure it out. Yeah, a little burn e, I suppose. Um, though it's, uh, it, it, you know, it plays because I, that was my note. I was sitting there like, oh, no, they're not going to imply that he's been doing this for years. And no, they make it like this is a one-time thing. He realizes this will expose the secret. He's like, whoop, on the train. <laughs> Give me my crystal. I'm out. Yeah, no, it's... It's it's brilliantly handled. It gives us some backwards motivation that again isn't drawing from other media that we've seen. So like what sucked me in for the first four seasons of Smallville was it was very much like the Superman elements of the show, the the parts of the show that weren't aimed at the teen drama, teen romance, high school drama audience were aimed squarely at me and my love of the Christopher Reeve movies. Yeah, it's you know what's good about it is it blends it blends a lot of different perspectives. It's a very broadly aimed television show, but it, so they have a teenager story angle that will that will lock in if you're 15. They have a story about middle-aged parents that will lock in if you're a parent. They have the action and the um, superhero antics and such for people who are in their 20s who are neither. But each storyline in and of itself can appeal and relate to people because uh, uh, of the varying demographics because I'm sitting here remembering being a teenager and I'm sitting here experiencing being a middle-aged parent and I'm remembering the best part of enjoying things without much uh without without being too incredibly critical in my 20s although I was writing my Smallville reviews in the 20s but um but at the same time I could still just cut loose and enjoy when I wasn't being analytical with pretty much everything um and I think that 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 the fact that it doesn't it doesn't pander. It instead just tells a good story and lets you come to all of it is one of the greatest strengths of this show. No, I'd agree. You got anything else from this episode you want to talk about? I think not. Perhaps we should cut to the boys. 
Um, and uh, then cut back to us. We're going to have to record it separately, but we can do that right now and take a little break and then maybe do some final thoughts. That sound good? That sounds fantastic. All right, here's the boys. Hey, Ben, how you doing? So, Superman and Lois, the fifth episode, the best of Smallville. What did you think? Not very memorable, honestly. What was it that you liked and didn't like? I do not like how John got drunk. That was weird. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little naughty, huh? I only like the fight scenes, honestly. Yeah? Was the rest of it just uh, too boring for you? There was, like, the Captain Luther plot was interesting. Like, that the part was with Lois? Yeah, that was just the part. Yeah? What well, do you think? Uh, do you think his motivations are changing, or do you think that he's, uh, you think he's still a bad guy? No, yeah, I see. I can't tell myself. What about um? What about what's going on with that weird machine that they put the guy in? Do you think that that's uh, giving them superpowers? I think that's trying to stabilize the people who touch X kryptonite, like stabilize them. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think X kryptonite is? I think it's like maybe like a type of black kryptonite or something that like separated from. It didn't have different effects or something? Like... Interesting, interesting. So, um, going forward, we got a big break. We've got probably until May 18th, I think. Uh, what do you think uh, is going to happen when everything comes back? Uh, who can say? <laughs> Not full of speculation on it, huh? No, nah. not really. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it's gonna be uh, they're gonna come roaring back because they're gonna have this nice long break and they'll be able to start uh, start a new episode. So, so you want more action, huh? Yeah, more plot. Like, like more plot. Okay, what do you mean by more plot? Like interesting plot changes, like ah. So you don't want it to be. Oh, go ahead. Maybe like John getting powers or. You think that's coming? Maybe. You think soon, or do you think it'll be a while? Probably a while, because they're trying to set something up, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that makes some sense, I think. So, let's see. If you had to give it a number rating, what would you say between 1 and 5, with 1 being bleh, and 5 being the best? 3. A 3. So, about average? Yeah. All right, fair enough. Any more thoughts? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, then I will probably hand you back to your dad, and we will drag Milo in here. That sound good? Yeah, my dad just left the room, and I need to wait for him to come back in. All right. Well, we'll go find him. But uh, I will catch you in May, my friend. Yes. Or actually, I'll probably catch you for Snyderverse stuff. <laughs> but that's soon. <laughs> I'm getting new glasses. Are you? Well, yeah. that's cool. What's going to be on the new glasses? Are they going to be... Bigger frames, smaller frames, what kind of glasses? They're just going to be more Clark Kent looking than my old ones. Nice. I always wanted the same thing when I was growing up. I always wanted to get Clark Kent glasses, and I ended up getting, you know, very 90s cheapo glasses because I was I grew up back in the 90s. Not the 1890s, but long enough so that it was a million years ago. 
<laughs> well, I hope they fit very well and that they're comfortable and that they're everything you want to be. And when you come in here, I probably still won't be able to tell the difference between when you've got them on and when you got them off because, you know, superheroes. Ah, oh, new man. <laughs> you just took your glasses off on me. All right. I'll hand you back to your dad, buddy. Good talking to you. Okay. I need to go find my dad and give him the earbud. I think he's lurking right behind you. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Milo, my man, how are you? Good. How you been? How was the move? Good. I liked it a lot. Are you are you practically a Canadian now, eh? Yeah. Yeah, you need to get your dad to Uber eat some Tim Hortons to your house. Especially Timbits. Yep. You want Timbits. Timbits are Timbits are basically uh donut holes. So you know like the middle of a donut? Yeah, I know the and, donut hole. Yeah, well the ones from Tim Hortons are perfection. They make them with like sprinkles and cake flavors and honey dip and chocolate and they're ooey gooey and delicious. Mm. That sounds good. So, the episode that we just watched was called The Best of Smallville. What did you think about it? I thought it was good. Yeah? What did you like? Yeah. I liked the part, art where he accidentally, that guy accidentally lasered the room, that guy in the room. Yeah? That was pretty cool. Did you like the... That. Sorry, go ahead. I liked that, that episode a lot. Did you like the young Clark Kent scenes? Man, that wasn't my favorite, but I was okay with it. Like when he was a kid and he was fighting crime? Ooh, that I, I didn't realize that you meant that. I liked yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, that was great. That, that was, was like pretty cool. That was my favorite part yeah. of the whole episode, I think. Yeah, I think I liked when he actually stopped those robbers, too, when he was little. Yeah, he was very, like, grown up and stern about it. You have done a bad thing. You're going to put those TVs back. Yeah, <laughs> but they're kind of not hurting anything. No, but they're still... So, they're not hurting anything, but the person that those TVs belong to, the store that those TVs belong to, is hurt by them stealing them, right? Yeah. Right? So we kind of had to step in and do it. How do you feel about the relationship between the brothers? I kind of feel, feel bad about Superman because sometimes he get, they get mad at him. Yeah, no, it's true. So... You, you can't imagine this right now because you're not a teenager yet, but one day you'll be a teenager and you'll you'll sometimes get mad and it won't make a whole lot of sense and that's just part of growing up. Yep. We all did it. Your dad can tell you about that. We all did it. Yep. Um, so I have a new theory that I'm going to tell you. You remember how I said last time that I thought that the brothers' powers only work when they're together? Yeah. I have a different theory that I think is going to happen, and I want you to let me know what you think about it. Okay. Okay, so my theory is that that's not what's happening. Jordan just has powers, and Jonathan doesn't yet. 
But do you remember yeah. the X the X kryptonite machine that they put that guy in that like yeah. was supposed to stabilize his powers? And you notice how yeah. humans that go into that keep on losing control of their powers and bad things happen to them? Yeah. Okay, so I think that Jonathan is going to get mad and do something stupid and put himself in that machine and he's going to wind up with powers that way. Yeah. Want to know what my theory is? I absolutely do. My theory is he's going to meet out with that girl and might get it that girl he loves so much. I know he can't become... His, his her girlfriend unless he like she, she like breaks up with that other guy that that he she had had for her her boyfriend but it was pretty cool how how that guy didn't get mad at him in that episode yeah because they made friends right like they had that moment on the yeah. football field where they stopped being angry at each other because <clears throat> they have developed some respect for each other right which is how you want those yep. kinds of fights and conflicts to end yeah okay so we are later on this week going to start talking about the justice league snyder cut okay You've watched that, right? Right. I watched the Justice League, the uh, Superman, and the Man of Steel one. I accidentally called it Superman, Man of Steel one. <laughs> but it's called Superman, not... I, we're talking about Superman, so I keep accidentally seeing a Superman. Yeah, yeah. No, I get but, it. Um, sorry, go ahead. I watched the free movies. I watched, watched the um, Man of Steel. I watched that Batman v Superman. And then I watched Justice League. Did you watch the long version of Justice League, the short version, or both? I watched the um, the I. It was. It just said Zack Snyder's Justice League. So the long That's version. All it said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I've seen both. I think Ben has seen both. Um, the, we're not going to spoil what your opinions are of Zack Snyder's Justice League because we're going to do that in a separate podcast. But I have a question now that you've seen Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and uh, Justice League, and that question is compared to the Superman on Superman and Lois. Do you have a favorite between the two, or do you like that those two versions of Superman the same, but like you like different things about them? How do you feel about the way different shows um, show Superman differently? My favoriteest one is Superman and Lois, not the Zack Snyder's. Yeah? yeah? Mine too. Mine too. And we'll talk about why when we do our deep dive into Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, but yeah, no, I was, ex yeah. I was curious now that you've seen them all to see what you thought of that version of Superman versus this version of Superman. 
It's kind of scary if I talk about one of the parts that I didn't like, so I'm not going to talk about one because it's kind of scary to me. Okay, that's totally fair. So I think we are going to do that recording tomorrow night. You make sure you get your dad to get you some Timbits, and we will have a few nice long conversations about Justice League. Okay, I'll get. I'll ask my dad to get it that after we're done with this quarantine, because we're not out of quarantine yet. It's true. Perfect. All right, buddy. Always fun talking to you. We will talk again tomorrow, and welcome to Canada. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. And we're back, Snapper Car and Jack Ryder. <laughs> so I timestamped that. I'm going to regret that. At an hour, you are going to regret oh. that. Um, okay, so final thoughts. Um, I still don't really know where they're going with Luthor's motivations. He clearly knows that this Clark is different than his Clark, and he doesn't seem to care, which is weird if they're trying to make him morally complex, which they seem to be. Um, I, I have I, the solution to that. Okay. My solution is that um, if you are sufficiently victimized which someone who loses both his wife and his entire world to somebody would probably be, you could draw the conclusion that invariably, uh, you could incorrectly draw the assumption very easily as a person that everyone in this particular situation always turns out like this. And if, you, if all you've seen is that someone with total power inevitably is corrupted, and if he started out with a Superman like the Superman he's looking at, and that's the Superman that becomes the Superman that murdered his entire world for whatever reason that we have yet to find. I totally see that that's, um, that's something that could happen to someone, but it all depends on if he can be disabused of the notion when he sees a counterexample and say whatever happened to the Superman of his world happens and it doesn't turn him into a raging psychopath. Then you can be like, well, I guess fatalism is up open to question. I better go back and study philosophy 101. <laughs> you know? I'll sit down and watch The Good Place. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I see, I see, but it depends on if they go that way. That's fair. Do you, have, do you think he has any inkling that Clark Kent is Superman? I think he knows, yeah. I think, uh, I think he, well, no. Actually, I take that back. I don't think he knows because if I think I think if he knows, he would uh, he would be he wouldn't be following Lois. He'd be going straight to Clark. Right, um, and he sees but, them together, and well, he doesn't react as viscerally. Like he reacts in the sense that Lois is married to someone who isn't him, and that bothers him, but not Lois is married yes. to his greatest enemy. I think he will draw the conclusion very soon because I think what he doesn't realize, if if I had to guess, and this is just pure speculation. I think that he knows Lois better than, than almost anyone in the same way that Clark knows Lois, but he doesn't know who Clark is. He's just like, oh, she married another man because I'm not here. Um, and I, or maybe even she married another man because this universe is wrong, you know? Which right. I'm sure he hasn't given as much thought to Clark because otherwise he'd be like, I'll go to Clark because Clark's always covering Superman. He's, he plays it, he plays, he seems really smart, but I think he'll draw the conclusion fast and I think he'll know soon.
I'm starting to think that the uh, majority view of some of the homepage commenters that they won't ever fit this show into a crossover with the other Arrowverse shows. It, it To me, it feels like that's likely because I can't see this version of Luthor occupying the same space as John Cryer's Lex Luthor and not having it just be wildly off-putting. It occurs to me, too, that they also have an out there. Um, because the fact that the crisis happens makes this an entirely new universe. So, um, you know, even though it's this, it's got some things that have happened that are the same, um, I, it, it could very easily be that, that um, they just keep it separate in that way because it's just the universe that was formed when the crisis changes. Um, and then they could do the crossover and have the tonal shift um, and try and make it make sense. But yeah, I don't think that they're going to do that that thing where it's like they all suddenly just come together and it's very, very easily brushed under the rug that it's switching from one toned universe to another. Um, like, it, it'd be like, um, I don't it, know. It's just, it would Titans just... From, from that HBO show. Yeah, it would just feel super weird. Like, this, the Arrowverse has established a Hall of Justice and... You've got, <laughs> no, but like you've got the DEO and the Flash and Supergirl now occupy the same universe because they've been merged. And I just don't understand how they'll be able to mesh any of that with this, which supposedly takes place in the same universe. I, I can't buy into the idea that this takes place 20 years after the events of all of that. And here's the thing. They don't have to. And the reason they don't have to is because Brandon Ralph is willing to suit up. They have a Superman for any crossover they want. Um, and he fits. The Brandon Ralph Superman has been introduced in that universe. He's in that universe. You know, they have that. They have, um, there, there's, there's so much that they can do to fill the Superman-sized hole. But also, just from a storytelling perspective, they've filled the Superman-sized hole. And that's a terrible um, <laughs> way to phrase that. But they filled the Superman hole with Supergirl. Supergirl is the Superman of that universe, you yes. know, and, and it's they're distinctly different characters. But if you need the Kryptonian story, it's there, I guess, is what I'm getting. What's at. what's interesting is and you should watch. I'll, I'll put together a list of Supergirl episodes for you to watch in which the character who is ostensibly this Superman appears and that character fits with Supergirl. This more realized, more grounded, more powerful, more emotionally maturely written version of the same character would not fit on the same screen as the Arrow versus Supergirl. Yeah. And, and I've seen all the, the Hoechlin, or Hawkland, I'm probably butchering it. I've seen all of the Superman episodes where he's appeared except for the um, the very first, uh, well, not the very first, the second two. The, the, the first crossover where he appears, as opposed to the first time he appears on Supergirl. Right. Um, and I can totally see how that character, that character, while the same character ostensibly, um, in comportment and in behavior, is just not the same, it, it's not a dad. I mean that's that's the only way to put it. I suppose it's not a, it's not a parent. It's a uh, it's a person in the prime of their superhero career, I suppose. Yeah, and he just he feels 
different. He feels more comic booky in his appearances on Supergirl, even though it's the same actor playing the role. Yeah, the, hey, Perry? Oh, I'm here, Perry? Yeah, yeah that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's it's just, it's a little off-putting. It's not bad. Like, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly happy with this take on the character. I've said before, I think he might be, and I'm, and I'm a hardcore Reeves loyalist, but he might be my favorite on-screen Superman. Um, but he's not playing, to my eye, the version of the character he was playing on Supergirl. Yeah, I get the same thing. I, I feel the same way. That's a funny question because, like, at the very start of these uh, podcasts and the reviews and whatnot, I was like, he's nowhere near Reeves for me. Um, and that kind of hit with you right off, like, he was your Superman. Um, and now he's growing on me. Like, he's sitting there, like, writing, right? I, he's definitely in second slot. Um, for, for me, it's for me it's that emotional attachment is less important than the quality of the depiction and so like i don't know if you've ever watched any doctor who but uh every yeah okay so every person i've ever introduced doctor who to um whatever doctor i start them with when that doctor, when that actor disappears because the character is regenerated, for our listeners, if you've never watched Doctor Who, they've kept the show going for 50 years through this conceit that the doctor is an alien who, when he dies, doesn't actually die. He just changes into a different physical form with his memories, but a different personality. And it's a neat little twist. But every person I've introduced to the show gets really mad and off put by their second doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> like they, they have a visceral reaction. Well, this doesn't feel like the doctor. I hate this. Whereas for me, it's all, is this actor playing the part in a way that I enjoy better than the last guy? And so for me, my favorite version of the character in recent years was Peter Capaldi's take on the character. Um, even though he was nowhere near my first doctor, so it's not a nostalgic or emotional thing for me when I say that, like, it's hard to view anybody as superior to Reeves. It was Reeves in Tal Hecklin played the part better than anybody else. And I would still argue that he plays the difference between the two characters better than anyone else. Like, the, he, the, the demarcation point between Clark Kent... And Superman, with Christopher Reeve's Superman, is so well-defined. I don't know if anybody will ever touch that again, but I enjoy Hecklin more. I think Hecklin... So, I've now had more time with Hecklin as Superman than I've had with Christopher Reeve's as Superman, I think. It's fair to say. Yeah. Um, or it's probably coming, up, probably coming up on that. I think what it is... Here's, here's the line that immediately appears in my head. Christopher Reeve in the Superman suit, does not have to say or do anything. He walks into a room, and he is Superman, and you see it. And I, there is absolutely that bias to this is the first version of Superman that I've seen. Um, in the same way that you're like, oh, there's no way that Ray's going to be as good as Luke Skywalker. You know, that yeah. every, everybody has this loyalty for a thing that they have when they're a kid. I think this is this is the, the nuance. Um the material that that uh, Tyler has had and the way in which he he performs it 
you look at Tyler and you think that's that's pale in comparison to Christopher Reeves because he walks into the set and you're like, no, it's not the same. But the minute he speaks, the minute he moves, the minute he carries himself, as an actor, he embodies Superman, I would say, near as well. And that's the thing that over time I think will build and probably, I don't know, if he's going to be able to replace that presence because that presence has nothing to do with ability. Um, it is very, it's Christopher Reeve being who Christopher Reeve is, just simply is, or was, I suppose. Yeah. And um, and Tyler has to become it. But whether that's better acting, I don't know. That's It's a question that, I don't know, because it it's not like who would win in a fight Superman versus Batman to me. It's more that, that difference between a one and a five for me versus a one and five for you. Is this a five Superman? For me, yes, 100%. It's a five Superman. Um, it, whereas, you know, like... <laughs> um, Dean Well, Kane. I won't go into more... more, more, <laughs> more uh, more of the uh, the what, what did you say that I was I should that I, it sounds like when I'm saying Snyder like pile of oh crap. the the dog poop <laughs> yeah yeah see I, 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 I think it would say like like forced ingenue would be the word that was actually coming out of my mouth when I say Snyder and the thing is <laughs> is I love Cavill as Superman I just hate what they did with the character via that like I would I don't know. Like, he visually looks like Superman to me, but when he's acting it, I kind of feel like he's... It feels like someone acting like Superman, not someone who is Superman to me. It's like a person who looks like Superman going, Well, yes, Lois, I uh, I am actually Superman, and I'm going to fly now. But the problem is, it's so undercut by the fact that he sits... Like, there are those scenes where, you're, where you can't ever buy him as Superman again because he kind of turns and goes... I guess all people are fundamentally bad. And then he just flies off into the darkness. You know, no, you know what? Like, it, that's, that's never Superman there. It, it took me watching him in Mission Impossible and Enola Holmes. And good news is we're getting a whole bunch of Netflix specials with him as Sherlock Holmes, which I'm totally ready for. Um, and The Witcher, for me to realize... Mm-hmm. To, to go back and watch Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and really appreciate this is a guy that can play just about any stoic, heroic character you want to put him in and play him well. You just got to give him material to work with. And I think he just had the wrong material. I just kind of picture him as as like a oil tanker leaning tower of Pisa Superman in my head. That's kind of just how I see it. He's like the kind of guy who would flick peanuts at a mirror the way he's portrayed in the movies. And that, that could be the writing, I admit. But also there's... Um... Well, also because the only scene where he smiles is the one where the where the where the mustache has been CG removed. You know, it's like yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. Think I've seen him smile in the, in the entire like he's never stood and smiled and gone. <laughs> you know, like I'm Superman and this is great. The no, that gets his chest when he's pulling it open and then it's black. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, so I my thing my thing with Cavill is my dream Superman movie would be a pre-scandal Brian Singer directing a Superman Returns sequel not married to Richard Donner with Cavill as Superman instead of Brandon Routh. Hmm, that would be interesting. I don't even know what I think a Superman movie would be anymore because they've seen, it's been so... It would be really tough. 
I, I don't envy the people doing it. I'm actually more into the, it's been so done that it's like watching a Batman movie. I have almost no interest in this Pattinson movie, even though oh. I'll like do a wonderful job and I'm sure the story will be fun. I'm yeah. super interested in that. Um, in a way that I haven't been for a Batman movie in a very long time. Although I will be the first to admit I was completely wrong in my knee-jerk reaction to Ben Affleck being cast as Batman. He did, and some might lynch me, but he does a better Batman than Christian Bale did by far. Again, he just <laughs> doesn't have the material to work with. Um, but this Pattinson movie looks like Batman via Seven. Yeah, yeah, I kind of get that impression too. I'm, I'll probably watch it and I'll probably eat my words later. It's just, it's more like, like I've seen, it's like another Spider-Man movie. Um, I love every Spider-Man movie I've seen, but I've seen them all now. Like I've seen, you know, like it's been done. Like I want to No, but see, every time I it's think not, it's been done, it, that's they... That's part of my, so here... Every time I think it's been done, they turn around and land something new on me. Like the best... And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an objective, qualitative statement. And if anybody disagrees with me, they're wrong. Into the Spider Verse is the <laughs> best possible Spider-Man movie anybody could have ever made, and it's a cartoon. And I well, wasn't, yeah, but it's also a multiverse that. movie. It's not necessarily a Spider-Man movie so much as it is a Miles Morales movie. And Miles Morales is Spider-Man. That's not what. That's not me saying he can't be Spider-Man, but it, it is. When I say a Spider-Man movie, I mean like the the old guards Spider-Man thing. It's one of the reasons why I'm so super excited. Oh God, what did I just do? I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm actually really, really psyched for the idea of the, the the Black Superman movie, if you will, like for lack of a better way of putting it, because it's like they're going to they have the opportunity to do what Into the Spider Verse did farm new material and tell new stories with this wonderful iconic character that goes in a direction that isn't just beating a dead horse. And I'm not saying that there aren't new Superman stories to tell in the same universe or in the same way. Of course there are just that I don't trust Hollywood to do it at all. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I still suppose. ticked. You know, like, I, I'm I don't still... think we'll ever see a Reeve movie again. I'm still ticked that we never got Will Smith as Superman because Hollywood was terrified of the backlash against changing up what an alien from another planet looks like i always my my react <laughs> it depends it oh, my my reaction to that when i found out that that had been a thing we almost got was to remember uh marlon brando when he showed up for shooting uh on the first superman movie um was doing some bizarre stuff and Donner asked him like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, well, I'm playing Jor-El as a donut. He's an alien. How do we know that they're not donuts? <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on if we got the fresh Superman of Bel Air or we got the I am legend Superman, you know, um, like there it's, it's all about, you know, the tone you're bringing to it. And, and it's, um, and that's one of the reasons why, in in my opinion, the DC universes, uh, the DC universe movies have failed so utterly in almost every respect. Um, Whoa! Because they just tonally, they just tonally don't get the subject matter. Aquaman is glorious. The first Wonder Woman is glorious. <laughs> Shazam! I would I... put punch for punch against half of the MCU easily. Now I've seen all of these movies, Julian. All of them. 
and I think I could maybe re return to you with maybe five to ten salient plot points from each. Um, it's not that I don't think that Gal Gadot makes a wonderful Wonder Woman. It's not that I don't think that Henry Cavill looks like Superman. That's that's not so much what I'm saying. It's that I don't see the work. You know, I see I see cash. I see lots of cash. Like well, in every uh, in every in every Marvel movie, and I am not a Marvel fan over a DC fan over the scope of my life at all. In fact, I think that the Marvel characters are far inferior to the DC characters, but. In every Marvel movie, the Marvel movie, the, the, the character is more important than anything there, and the story is built to match the character, and they are almost all memorable. There are some that are easily forgettable. Like, I, there are lots of things that I don't remember about, say, Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel or the more recent ones that are basically retreading similar ground to other ones that have come before. But almost every single one of them, and in a run of like 19 movies, that's insane— you can remember the essential beats of the plot. And I'm sitting there with Shazam, and I'm like, yeah, I know there were a bunch of multiple colored Shazams. I know that uh, that there was... Uh, a, a, that the, the actor who played Billy Batson was great. I don't remember the catalyst for the final fight. I don't remember the solution to the final fight. And that's because they were not memorable moments. They were not... They were not vital and essential, whereas, you know, like the, the way that the Cosmic Cube is built up in Captain America, the way that you learn to love um, Carter, the way that you even even minor characters like um, like the Tommy Lee Jones character just pop. Listen, um, we're we're um, gonna just... we're gonna tackle the Snyderverse next week. Yes, yes, yes. So, we should so, do that. To so be continued. That's a good to continue. Yeah, yeah. So everybody, buckle up for that because we are going to do a six chapter review of uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. But I'm gonna make you eat your words because <laughs> James Wan and Jason Momoa did the bloody impossible and made Aquaman cool while still keeping him quintessentially Aquaman and. Every bit of that movie is memorable and awesome. I will have to rewatch it because I fell asleep in the middle of it. But we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right. So, ladies and gents, next week, tune in. We don't have Superman and Lois to review, but we are going to tackle the Snyderverse. I didn't hate it, so it's not just going to be a, uh, a pile-on. <laughs> um, but we will be critical of it because it's also not fantastically great. And we'll talk about why everybody seems to think it is. And on the plus side, outside of the Snyderverse, I don't remember much about any of the other ones, so there won't be much for me to critique outside of my response to, oh yeah, that happened. Uh, but we'll get there. It'll be good. My, six my, six my, long parts, and I'll get more and more morose as it goes until eventually I go, I don't need to review this anymore. And then I'll fly off. And at some point, we'll have a slow-mo shot where we have the cast of Frozen singing a song as we dive into the water in the background. Oh my God, Julian, you're giving me ideas. We've got to just randomly at times for effect, slow down our voices during the podcast so <laughs> that we feel more erudite. Done. <laughs> Sold deal. But yeah, no, uh, I think I think it'll be fun. It wasn't the slog I was worried it was going to be. There was some validity to the the calls to release the Snyder cut. Although the question of whether we actually got Snyder's original vision or not is something we're going to touch next week. Um, but yeah, I think it's worth diving. Dear God, into. don't let him make a vision movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, 
I think that's it for All us right. for this week. Yes, indeed. That's another episode of Ampersand and Sons. Send all of your hate. Don't send hate mail at all. Uh, We will catch you on the soon. I am Neil Bailey. I am Julian Finn. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.